So, uh, my name is Alok and uh, now I live in the ashram as part of the ashram for the last uh, uh, nearly 16-17 years. Uh, I've been a doctor with the Indian Air Force, a psychiatrist for 20 years. So, that's my background. But that is about the outer life, inwardly, like all of us have been a seeker. What is the meaning of life? What is its purpose? What is its goal? What are we doing here? Why are we doing what we are doing? So all these questions uh, led me through a trail of uh, books and study and practices and finally at the feet of Mother and Shurabindo. That's the long and the short of it. Mm -hmm. And I am happy to be uh, on this wonderful journey of Shurabindo's Integral Yoga. So this is my quick background. And uh, maybe uh, it may be nice if we have, uh, if you have some questions or are seeking, probably they'll be better rather than I randomly speak, uh, you know, Shirobinda and the mothers, um, they cover uh, almost everything, not almost, actually everything under the sky, seen from the light of the yoga which they practiced. So there is no field of life which uh, is exempt from the yoga. See, normally we, we talk about yoga, we think about certain practices which we have to do, certain experiences which we get, certain states of consciousness, usually higher states of consciousness. And that's it, which is wonderful. I mean, given the way we lead our life in this world full of all kinds of things. But uh, in Shurabindu's yoga, because it's an integral yoga, it's connected with life and world. And its very aim is transforming our individual and collective existence. In one word, a divine self-fulfillment. Rather than, a, you know, negation, denial or an escape from life. Um, so, it covers everything. At the same time, uh, this divine self-fulfillment is, of course, not our um, egoistic self-fulfillment. So it is not, um, it doesn't make it easier, makes it even more difficult at one level. Uh, because it's not like, you know, we set aside a time when we sit for meditation, follow a certain pro process and experience certain states. It's like the yoga goes through life just as we move, just as we breathe. So this is the vast scope of the yoga. Um, that's why it's much better if you have a specific question, I could Speak about that. I actually do, sir. Yes, uh, please. So you were a psychiatrist for the, 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 the greater part of your life and uh, now retired? In, in, in a sense, I still am because I am part of the medical department. Okay. Only I, I, I am no more analyzing anyone. <laughs> Not only here, uh, but that paradigm I have left behind because that paradigm was very... Um, it was too rigid, too narrow... Uh, obviously, that's why, you see, if we are satisfied with the world and its uh, systems and its knowledge base, then we don't really explore anything more. It's precisely because I felt it is not enough and I had my reasons to believe it's not enough. So I explored here. Now it's a different light that I bring into my understanding and dealing with patients and the practice. Um, I still use medication where necessary. But the understanding is vastly different. Mm -hmm. And I know when to use and more importantly when not to use. Mm -hmm. 
because you know they are very different categories so uh, yeah so i am still kind of i i have the license to practice and being part of the medical department of the ashram i practice psychiatry i practice general medicine also because we don't have fortunately too many uh, <laughs> patients to <laughs> yeah so that's my background yeah I'm uh, everything that you said so far, uh, so little, but you said so much, you know, and uh, it just came to me this term, a spiritual emergency. Mm. And ah, there is emergency and yeah. emergence. Yes, yes. Can you talk a little bit about Yes, it's a well-known term now. Uh, many times people who come with, and I see myself more and more cases, uh, many youngsters particularly, but even sometimes people going through midlife, where they go through a state of depression, they are unhappy and they don't know what's happening in their life, the relationships are broken and generally misunderstood a lot and um, people label them as having a psychiatric problem. But basically what is happening is that it's like a bird in the cage which is feeling stifled. Mm -hmm. Now the background of this is that, uh, you know, Shivinda puts it very beautifully, um, you know, in, in conventional psychiatry, psychoanalytical psychiatry, it is said that man suffers because he represses the subconscious. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shravindo says he suffers much more because he represses the superconscious. Mm-hmm. So you see, a time comes when we evolve beyond our uh, mental um, framework. And uh, when the time has come, then this appears insufficient. But what is the other a possibility we we know only vaguely it's like you know you want to go somewhere but you don't know where so in the process some people uh, just develop wanderlust they travel here they dabble experiment with many things but deep inside there is a need to break through or out of the fixed mental patterns and look at something totally different which they don't understand so this stifling of the uh, evolution next which is uh, in shurbindo's uh, vision which is uh, already started uh, is the real cause of many of the problems, not all the problems. There are a lot of uh, psychological disorders where we actually gravitate into the subconscious. But there are a considerable number of people who are growing now more and more, who land up with spiritual emergency. They don't call it as such. They go through the normal states like, you know, depressed, unhappy with life and restless. Um, and they need... they. The reason is that there is something in them which has developed and matured enough to come out. It's like a chick in the egg or a baby in the womb. So, you know, when uh, it wants to emerge, then um, there are labor pains and uh, we experience those labor pains of a new creation. So that's the next uh, future which Shurabinda has foreseen and worked towards it, that there would be a spiritual emergence out of the mere mental being, just like out of the ape humanity emerged so you know uh, the ape out of which humanity emerges is not the most perfect ape it is the one which is a little below just a little below and uh, if you look at the ape world as such the monkey world there is so much restlessness curiosity idle curiosity picking up things you know that that's the whole thing is about the mind wanting to emerge Something similar now, but the difference is instead of the mind, it's the spiritual angst. And that's why many of us hold dreams of an ideal world more and more. It's, I mean, independent of reading any scripture, we want uh, 
the world to be a better place. Now we may have our own definitions. And when we see that it's not what it is and we try through uh, means which won't work out, that is also true. But we don't have the means. So we become unhappy and we rub against, you know, so new patterns of relationships, for example, are emerging, new ways of dealing with, uh, you know, our everyday life situations. So this is the spiritual emergence which is taking place and when we deny it, so not all are ready for it. So because evolution is always a graded phenomena, not every animal kind, you know, evolves into a human being. Uh, but there are many and there will be more and more who will get ready because each one accepting this possibility and going over is going to draw many more by the sheer vacuum effect. So that's how evolution operates. And so this is going to be more and more this angst existential crisis if you like, but in the higher sense, uh, which is going to take hold of mankind more and more. And they need guidance, they need help, they need to at least understand what's happening inside. And that's one of the things I deal with. Mm. I've seen quite a few um, uh, people, mm. especially youngsters. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Alguma pergunta, todo mundo? Vocês estão vendo? Enfim, sentir firmeza, não? I mean, does everyone follow English? Otherwise, I can go slow. I didn't know. I just took okay. So, no, your, your English is very good. It's great for us. But uh, not everybody speaks, so, but it's, it's okay because after I go okay, and, okay. And, and talk. Otherwise, I will make it slower also. Yes, I'm that's sorry. Entender, turma? Sim. Alguma pergunta? Pode fazer diretamente para ele, tá? Você que tem inglês. Na tua experiência em Aurovindo e... Let me ask you as far as like, where are you from in India? Ah, that's a very difficult question. My roots are in UP. I was born in Bihar. I studied in Pune. Uh, my medicine and I have traveled to every state of India um, during my Air Force and for the lectures. And uh, now to every um, continent, if not country, except Antarctica and Arctic Ocean. So I literally uh, no more have that um, uh, sense of, you know, being from some place. But I do feel a very deep-rooted uh, uh, Indianness inside, uh -huh. uh, in the deepest sense, not in a in very a geography, sense. not in a political sense, that's right. And... Um, I have resonated with some of the countries which includes uh, uh, Brazil <laughs> long back. Yeah. So, but that's because nowadays we are going to live more and more as cosmic citizens. Yeah. <laughs> I feel more or less, yeah, at, yeah. at one level like that. So, deep-rooted uh, Indianness uh, in, the, in, in terms of Sanatan Dharma yes. and um, a connect with the whole world as yeah. uh, really being one family. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. that's true. So, yeah. so that's my identity kind of place. <laughs> I'm gonna, uh, in the name of the group, uh, yeah. come up with some questions. But one thing that I think is very interesting, because you're from uh, Air Force? Or yes, Army? Air Force, yeah. How is for somebody from the Air Force to live in a place where you don't connect uh, in a way uh, with the political, uh, uh, just frequency? Yeah, yeah. But uh, with the Sanatana Dharma and dealing with like, uh, uh, for example, the Bhagavad Gita, mm. the, the whole uh, 
scenery where there is this this uh, talk of Krishna and, and, and mm -hmm. Arjuna. How do you see like India as a political country, but it, it's so way beyond what yeah. the, the teachings are pointing to? So it is, um, uh, you know, it's an evolving process. See, when we look at India, it's very difficult to look at it at a slice of time. Uh -huh. Okay, because um, uh, you see, there, there have been many ancient civilizations and the experiment of Sanatan Dharma has taken place at many places, if you really go far back in times. But here it has been preserved and guarded. Even that, if you just take the time of the Vedas, 10,000 years plus, you know, and counting. So it has gone through many, many, many layers. So it's an extremely complex country. Yes. Uh, one thing which, you know, you you can change a language, custom, understanding, uh, everything from one place to another. So, plus, if you see the civilizational influx, very rarely a, a country has uh, experienced all kinds of contrary influences and supporting influences entering in and integrating. Yes. So, it makes it a very, very complex uh, country. Yes. And therefore, um, I look at it like this, that uh, last 70 years, India is still... Um, struggling fully to be on its feet. Now it's on its feet. So it's like the child is uh, rooted here. <laughs> but he has to grow into adult. And that's what is taking place. It's like a reborn India. Yeah. But a rebirth where it has not forgotten the past. Yeah. Which makes a big difference. So uh, Sanatan Dharma is something which uh, does connect Indians world over. If you see... Uh, you know, now, for example, we have all this talk going on. I mean, I, it's a political thing, but uh, we can talk about just uh, as an example yes. about CAA. You must have heard, you know, uh -huh. persecuted religious minorities coming from other countries. Now, if you see long, long back, people from Iran, that time Persia, were accepted in India. Right then, I mean, thousands of years back, when they were thrown out of their own country and they came to the shores of Gujarat. So, this has been kind of inbuilt. Uh, an average Indian is well programmed uh, right from the, it's in the DNA, he breathes this air. <laughs> One is that, you know, surrender to the divine, he understands. Faith in the divine, he understands. He understands at uh, one level the universal uh, Godhead. So, sectarianism is not really in that sense. Now, I'll explain the political aspect of it. Now, because uh, it's very easy for an Indian, average Indian, I've grown up in an Indian village, so I can speak for that, to understand that people follow different paths, they have different faiths, it's perfectly fine. But this acceptance has sometimes led to repercussions. You know, it's like I welcome you as my... Honored guest, mm -hmm. but supposing you occupy the house, it's it's a dangerous situation. Mm -hmm. That's where Bhagavad Gita and themes like that step in. Yeah. Like you're welcome because it's your house as much as it is my house. But if you almost try to drive me away or change me completely into your way of thinking, then that becomes a very difficult. That's a challenge which India has faced, mm -hmm. not once but several times. I mean. Greek, the Portuguese, the French, the British and the Mughals, mm. to name just five, mm. over hundreds of years, one after another. But it was necessary because it had to 
you see, India took all that absorbed, and now uh, it is going to reinvent itself on that basis. It's a very difficult process, yes. but I think um, I mean I am convinced that this is going to be because all the uh, complex problems of the world, all the challenges exist here. Uh, the super rich and the super poor, everything exists. The extremely wise man, uh, who is one with Brahman, as you said, and the person who is completely ignorant in denial, who who will even be hostile to something called as uh, uh, God or divine, all that coexists here. Uh, from the s uh, space age to the Bullock cart, you will find in the same. So, it is uh, very challenging, but also it is very enriching. So, I, I personally love this uh, uh, complexity because I find it very enriching. Yes. So, yes. having travelled all over the world, I mean, I have not been to South America, almost had an invitation to come to Brazil recently. Mm. So, I don't know, but this is my feeling. I love this complexity. Yes, yes. Yeah. And it's so interesting, you know, because I was here in India in Republic Day and uh, for some reason, I myself, being a Brazilian, but so connected to India, to Sanatana Dharma, to the study, to yoga, you know, I got like a emotional ah, seeing yeah. the, the parade because I was like really impressed. Oh, yes. It's yeah. not a just about, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, uh, 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 the aesthetics. Yeah, 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 I agree with you. Something beyond that. Beyond, yes, yes, yes. So always you'll find, for example, I'll give you some common examples. Uh, you have reality shows and dance shows all over the world, you know. Uh, so in India, often you will see that when a singer or a dancer is going to perform on stage, it doesn't matter, he may belong to any religion, but very often he'll touch the floor. It's just instinct. Uh, it just imbibed within and he will go and give the performance. Now, this is very simply that, uh, you know, we have grown up like that, that uh, I am going to dance on you, this is the base, it is Mother Earth, support my uh, venture. So, it's just instinct. Uh, you know, this, even this gesture of holding hands comes so instinctively. Uh, even when you are very emotional, overwhelmed, people do it. So, all there are many, many aspects, countless which are there and uh, it's a slow awakening or reawakening of India to its own truth. In a sense, I think all the countries are going through a discovery of their true soul. This is happening world over, uh, at least in major parts of the world. And um, outwardly it takes certain political tones, but uh, notwithstanding that, people are searching who they are. So Indians are also going through a process of searching who we are or have been as a people. Uh, we have the scriptures, but we have to live the scripture. It's not enough to have scriptures. So, so that is a big challenge because we have too many scriptures. That's the other aspect. So such extreme diversity. If you read the Vedas, there is one kind of view of life. If you read the Buddha, if you read Jain scripture, Sikh scripture, all they are part of Indian thought under the large rubric of Sanatan Dharma. So it's not just one way of life with one goal, just one, uh, I mean, there is one, everybody speaks of one, but it's understood that he has many aspects, many uh, ways of dealing with this creation and we have different approaches. So it all makes it very, very, uh, if you read the Kena Upanishad, I'm talking of, let's say, two Upanishads, uh, Kena and Isha Upanishad. 
if you read the kena upanishad you will get an impression it's otherworldly you know this is not brahman that is brahman this is not brahman that is brahman uh, if you read the isha upanishad you will get an impression that it is this worldly isha vasyam idam sarvam all this is the lord all this is for the habitation of the lord just two upanishads which are just juxtaposed to each other so one you can take it that is for the person who is uh, in the high school and the other is for the graduate so in the high school you need to know that there is a greater reality beyond the material framework that you must seek but having sought that you must understand that that reality percolates everything pervades everything enters into everything then you have the tantra which is so different from vedanta yes. so it's they <laughs> said very rich and complex Uh, at least about india i know i'm sure there must be lot of yeah. richness and complexity everywhere but this what uh, engages me and fascinates me yeah mm-hmm. and your attraction to aurobindo is is basically because oh. it has this holistic integral process. yeah 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 that has been my seeking yeah. because um, i have always felt what is the point of uh, um, creation if uh, we have to get back to the either the creator or in some nirvana leaving this creation as it is because it's incorrigible or it's an illusion i had serious issues with that who trapped me in the illusion and why and now we are told come out of it so what was the sense of all this uh, so it it always created a, a cognitive dissonance if i want to use a psychological term uh, it didn't go with my seeking and core aspiration so shirvindo gave me an answer which i was seeking that no all life is yoga and can be turned into a yoga and life is meant for a divine fulfillment it's moving towards it right now what we are seeing is a halfway home of the spirit it's not yet over work is going on creation is work in progress and uh, most important we can participate in building a new world so it it fascinated me that's what drew me towards this yoga specifically yeah you were saying something yes, yeah. i would like you uh, talk about uh, you have said about the disparities in the outside world but i think we we have all these disparities inside yes absolutely and how can we suffer less from the outside and the inside disparities and also even the compassion it's um a good way maybe to fix the world or mm-hmm. to make the world better but on the other hand we suffer because of all the disparities that yes so that touches a very different and a very uh, interesting area um we see in this world uh, let's start with uh, extremely complex and different uh, ways of life ways of thinking etc uh now actually if we look inside us as you have rightly pointed out all this world and the different things we experience are somewhere inside us i mean this is the basic premise of sanatan dharma that uh, the world or the cosmos exists in a miniature way within us let's take uh, an example we call certain things as good and certain things as bad certain things as right and certain things as wrong it's a very childish way of you know uh, dividing creation but we do it now if we take a close look things which we get disgusted with and call it as bad and evil 
something of that tendency in a root form exists within us. We don't notice it. We hold it inside. We even struggle with it inside. And when we see it outside, it's like suffocating because we are suffocated with it inside. Let's take the example of um, extreme fascist ideology. You know, people who want to convert everybody to a certain worldview. If they don't, uh, if you are not converted to that worldview, they are willing to go to any extent to kill and murder and whatever. Now, does this tendency exist within us? Well, at a certain level, we want others to think the way I think. See, it's a strange paradox. I don't want to, that to happen as a mass political phenomena. But all of us within us hold a little fascist insight, if I may use <laughs> Who wants others to think the way I think? Who is very comfortable that way? All right. Now, how to get rid of that? So, the more we work inside at this little part, which wants to uh, enforce a certain thought upon everybody, let me put it like that, and everybody has to have a same way of life or view of life. If I work within me on this tendency and enter into a state of inner wideness, I help the world. It's a you know, I'm talking of this compassion which you're mentioning. Uh, let's take another um, example. People who have problems inside, but they are a little more generous towards their problem because they have tried hard and they know it's not so easy. They also become generous towards others. They understand that it's not easy. Everybody is struggling with their issues. But if one has not struggled with one's own issues, then we become very intolerant. Because we don't know what it means to struggle with one issue. A third um, method uh, with regard to that is that we often experience contrary emotions because that is the way world current works. We experience uh, or out of habit, we experience let's say strong hate, um, we experience jealousies, we experience ambitions, anger, fear and all these um, now, where do they come from? They come from uh, atavism, you know. Uh, in animals, it is not called as negative because it's necessary for the survival. Uh, a snake got to bite if you come near. It's, it's a survival instinct. Um, it has to assume a fearful appearance <laughs> to strike fear. But it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean, mean harm that way. But we as human beings, this tendency joined to the mind becomes dangerous. Because we begin to cheat people, assuming one appearance but carrying the snake and the uh, animal inside us. So, what we have to do is, um, there is a yogic method that replace it with the negative, uh, with the positive. Replace the negative with the positive. For example, if I am hounded by jealousy, so what do I do now? I replace jealousy with love, understanding. If I am hounded with, um, let's say, strong emotion of fear, um, then I replace it with trust. What kind of trust? Trust in myself, trust in destiny, trust in the divine grace. Whichever way we want to look at it, that things will be fine. We don't need to become so afraid. Now, if we work on a tendency within us, it has a continuum with the whole world. You know, we don't realize we are connected with the whole world through these movements of nature. Jealousy is not only in me, it is a universal problem. 
and we don't realize that there is an interconnectedness of each world with the with a corresponding world that's why you see nowadays people tend to come together ideologically why because it's not just my ideology many people hold a similar ideology and they gravitate together same applies with emotions so if i remain jealous i am strengthening a tendency which is universal but equally if i replace jealousy with love now the interesting part is because the world is a continuum by contagion by contamination i am spreading slowly this love into this atmosphere into matter into others by becoming a living example people may not know they they don't need to know that you know i have worked upon myself but it will spread it is now known even in science as you know morphogenetic resonance uh, like recently now you see it's interesting corona virus is going on now how does this whole epidemic go like any epidemic some human beings will one day develop immunity all right within maybe few months it like sars epidemic and other epidemics the moment you develop an immunity strangely it spreads how does it spread no one knows <laughs> but it spreads so it becomes easy for many others to handle that virus into the system this is how it works so similarly when we work upon our own struggles and suffering i'll come to this last thing now suffering part it helps the world so compassion is not just an outward uh, thing when i say i understand you but compassion is also when i work within a tendency it gives me empowers me to work upon it in other on others if i have not worked upon it myself supposing i keep talking of love and kindness but inwardly i am cruel then my words will fall flat but if i have replaced in me all urge for hurt and harm by kindness then when i say be kind it has a different meaning altogether so compassion is a state of power it's not a weak state and that's the thing which many people don't understand one has to engage in yoga to truly be compassionate we mistake pity oh my god you know this is happening it's so much suffering let's be compassionate but we have not experienced compassion so when we adopt a state which is not really our own then we enter into what the gita calls is mithyachar false life and we see that happening also because now the word is the buzzword <laughs> so you know everybody talks about kindness compassion this good love it's like the word love people talk about love after 2 years love changes into hate first they go to the priest and then to the lawyer to separate why does it happen because i have used a word without really living its truth all right now when we look at it life offers us countless opportunities to learn and grow basically life is a great teacher so where does suffering come from suffering from the um spiritual point of view comes from limitation this limitation is called as ignorance ignorance is not absence of knowledge but partial knowledge so this limitation uh, the more limited we are and what causes the limitation the ego self so the more limited i am the more difficult it is me for me to face the world's contact so there are people who can't step out of their homes or can't step out into a neighboring country because they feel threatened they become paranoid because uh, they are meeting a totally different 
kind of a scenario. So limitation kind of ensures us safety and security, but it prevents us from evolving. You see the paradox. So as long as a person is seeking only to remain secure, limitation helps. But the day he wants to expand and grow and evolve, you have to take the challenge of life. This challenge to many brings suffering. Let's say I am living with a human being who thinks differently, feels differently, eats very different stuff. Can I continue to love? This is the challenge. You see the point? If the person has the same uh, belief, same interest, common everything, then there is no big deal. Obviously, I am happy to be together. But if the person is completely different, imagine a scenario, thinks differently, has his own way of life. Can I continue to love? Now that's the challenge. Now this is stepping out of my comfort zone, stepping out of my boundaries. This is, but very often we go further into a shell. When we face the challenge, let's say in a relationship, the person is not what I imagined to be or thought to be. Common, you know, example. So people sometimes go into a greater shell and they develop a very, um, sometimes a cynical view of life. They become pessimistic. Oh, life is like this. It's terrible, you know. They start mistrusting everyone. But supposing instead they took one step forward. I have loved. It doesn't matter. Let me feel my ultimate experience of love. Because love is within me. Make it completely independent of the object. Love disinterestedly. Without expectation. I can tell you if we do that, not only will we go become free from suffering, we will evolve into a state which is beyond our comprehension. I am telling you things which have been tried and which people can try. Okay, so this is what, and it applies to every area. You have a child, child doesn't live the way you expect, doesn't have the same beliefs, doesn't listen <laughs> to start with. I don't know, you have, some of you may be having children, isn't it? Doesn't follow the pattern. So people suffer. But why should he? Life is about multiple approaches, human beings are evolving. And then to this, if we can add that we are all souls in evolution. And there is no final product yet. So... It's all changing. He's evolving as much as I'm evolving. Can I help him to evolve along the lines he wants to evolve? That's a challenge. And I think we should take the challenge of life and you know, celebrate it even. Yeah. And ultimately, finally, all that we, we are looking for outside, this is a well-known thing, may sound like a cliche. But I can tell you ultimately it is all we carry inside. You know, if I am looking for an ounce of love from someone, I am going to be hurt and disappointed. Because um, I am looking for it, that need is there because I am carrying it inside. This is the basic spiritual uh, doctrine. So if I am looking for somebody to love me, I will be unhappy. But if I uncover this source of love within me, I can love a whole universe without getting even a drop in return, but I won't feel the need of it. Alright. So, then that's why we have many paths of yoga, like yoga or bhakti. It's about loving the divine within you. 
and the divine in creation an intangibly tangible someone if i want to put it and the day the door opens of that love you feel a universal love everywhere yoga of knowledge is not through books you seek the one consciousness the all all wise omniscient witness within you the day you find it all knowledge is at the doorstep and i am seeing of something very concrete as knowledge where we think we have to read books and google search and internet no it's it's actually within we look for power we look outside whereas we carry that shakti inside hidden behind the veils of nature whose every breath because now this is very logical whose every breath is creating the universe now we have to understand that this whole creation has one source it cannot have many this is sheer logic rational isn't it you can't have one source for plant life one source for moon another ultimately if you go back work backwards there has to be one source make call it anything doesn't matter now when this one source becomes many something of that source is in every element of creation isn't it and it is through that we must that we must connect with life first we have to discover that source within and with through that source when i connect with you him her this that everything then it's a different world of relationship it's no more based on my country or based on language custom anything because uh, can there be two sources there cannot be i mean so when it is said discover the divine within this is what it means it means to discover that which is universal in all ego self cannot help us in doing it so i may use the word compassion from a egoistic standpoint even feel self righteous oh i am a very compassionate being and then look down upon others who are not so compassionate <laughs> that's not compassion when you when we live in this universal self then true compassion is born that compassion can even engage in war that example of the geeta because it sees that the self the divine self is struggling inside because the outer personality and the outer actions of a human being are completely veiling it and even threatening the world existence you see the point the difference but if my compassion is outward i'll say it doesn't matter let anybody do anything i will only have compassion see the difference see bhagavad gita is about war and it's not just an inner war there is an actual war going on and shri krishna speaks about compassion as a divine quality and then he bids arjun to fight so here the compassion is operating like that that in duryodhana the kauravas now they are threatening the life of mankind of the, of those days and if they continue doing it the universal self which is manifesting in all creatures its plan is goes back by centuries and millenniums so even war can be understood on the basis of compassion which is you know like in second world war shurbindo actually asked some of his disciples to join the forces of the allies he had sent because he saw that if hitler wins this earth will go back thousands of years and even an individual i can tell you uh, we of course feel sad when bodies are destroyed and all that this carnage but 
even an individual, it's like a liberation because we have trapped ourselves in a personality which is actually making us suffer much more. Look at the life of a Hitler or life of an Aurangzeb, life of some of the dictators. How much they are suffering inside because of stifling this spiritual self. They are so lonely, so paranoid, so suspicious of everybody. In the Mahabharata, you have the story of Kansa. So suspicious. He is suspicious even of his own closest ones. You see the life of Hitler? Now look at this scenario when he dies, such a person dies. His soul will say, oh, what a relief. Good riddance of this personality which was stifling me. And probably thank the person who has freed from this cage. Now, of course, it's a very, very profound and deep truth. It can easily be misapplied that, oh, I, his soul is being stifled. But I am talking of a very uh, uh, principle. Its practice is, of course, uh, one has to live the truth before applying anything. Uh, world suffers from misapplied truth. So, <laughs> that's the other part of it. Yeah, it's like crusade and fighting for God. It's dangerous. <laughs> but one must understand the principle. That's why the Bhagavad Gita gives the whole principle behind it. The state of consciousness you should be in. No hate, no anger, nothing. None of those things. No feeling that, you know, the other person is bad guy and I am going to punch him in the nose. No. But for the sake of dharma, which is a very profound word. Dharma has nothing to do with religion. It's not because I belong to this religion. I have a right to finish other religions. That's the most dangerous thing to do. Dharma literally means the law of truth which holds mankind in its evolving journey. For each one it will be different. So dharma is not a uniform code for everyone. Not a same ritual custom for everyone. Dharma literally means it's, it's nothing to do with religion. A person may be not a believer at all and yet you cannot help but you can live your life by dharma. So if you look at the scriptures, we have two kinds of dharma, the law of truth and the law of ignorance. So law of truth is what really is your expression of the divine within you. The way the divine will unfold within you, within each one of us. And that will depend on the stage of evolution, on our past, unique past, unique future, many aspects. Whereas there is a law of ignorance where all this is muddled up and confused and takes a very chaotic appearance. So we have to transit from the law of ignorance to the law of truth. The law of truth is dharma and truth is, doesn't change with, uh, you know, change of nationality or country. So that's how it is. I think we went uh, too far and deep, but... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Can I ask you a last question? Yeah. <clears throat> you being from the armed forces, you a psychotherapist, I mean, of course you have a, the discipline in you to do what you do. But then you have like Aurobindo and the mother and the whole system of integral yoga, where it's just incredible, like the freedom of choice for people to practice yoga in their, in their own way, way from the inside out. Uh, and that's, uh, uh, in theory, incredible, great, but in the practical 
side of it, in the world that we live in, in Kali Yuga, how, how do you see this freedom and how is it going as far as like the ashram and for example Aravid, how do you see that? Uh, there are three, four things here, the world, the ashram and Auroville. Certainly freedom can be misused, is often misused. Let's start from there, from ground zero. Um, that's the beauty of freedom, that when we make a choice, a wrong choice, Let's let me put it in, uh, I mean, leaving aside the relativity of right and wrong, which is another discussion. If I make a wrong choice, which is contrary to my own evolution, let me put it like that. So what happens? After a while, I learn. Today or tomorrow, I am bound to learn. If I have wrong dietary habits, if I smoke, one day I will be hit with uh, cancer or something else. This is because there is in the universe a wisdom which is operating. So though we use the word freedom, there is nothing like an unconditional freedom ever existing. There is a wisdom which will constantly work towards aligning us. Through consequences or in its own incalculable ways. So what happens when I take the path of freedom or anybody takes the path of freedom as today we see it. I go to a point and something within me because we don't know what's happening inside a human being. And I have countless examples of this kind even with clients. Let's say you almost waste a whole life in outer eyes. Uh, one takes to drugs, one takes to all kinds of things. Now this I am talking of world, not uh, ashram and Auroville. And you reach a point where you discover that that was not my way of life. Now, the moment you believe in rebirth, then nothing is lost. You have gained a fundamental experience from where you begin. So rebirth is never about reward and punishment. It's about learning. We are all on a learning curve and we learn and change. So rebirth is a change and we have learned something and we carry it over. That's all it is. So, but this learning through freedom is a very authentic learning. Unlike if I adopt a pattern because everybody is doing it or I am forced to do it. See what happens when, uh, you know, people adopt a certain religion, religious doctrine. Uh, unlike the ashram, there is indoctrination. You have to believe in certain things. You have to do certain things. If you don't do it, there is fear. I may be, you know, become an outcast. Maybe God will abandon me. I may go to hell. All kinds of fears are there. Uh, or there are lures. If I follow this doctrine, I will be rewarded in heaven. If I blow up somebody's home, I will go to heaven. All kinds of things are there in this world. Now, when I follow it, just because it is somebody else's truth, truth or false, whatever, and I have not applied my own freedom, then I learn nothing. I have just blown myself up. So this freedom of choice is a sacred thing. There is no doubt about it. And it is part of the world plan. It will look very chaotic because when there is freedom given, people will break free from all the fixed norms. So there are no norms, patterns, nothing which you can recognize as, uh, you know, I am sure Brazil you must have experienced, we experience in India everywhere. All customs, traditions gone. But the real learning will take place only through that. It will accelerate the growth. What about many who don't get into that accelerated mode? Well, evolution is evolution. There may be a collapse of a number of people who were not ready anyways. Okay, evolution doesn't operate the way we think. But there are those who are ready who through freedom can take a leap. So what happens in a place like Ashram and Auroville? Yes, there is freedom. There is freedom to choose. But there is a difference. The difference is in the world, 
Also, there is a wisdom operating which I spoke of, which gives you consequences and takes you. But it is buried inside. It's struggling with all these surface complexities and chaos and clashes and conflicts. Here, all this freedom and chaos and conflict exist, exist. But there is a tremendous surrounding pressure of the Divine Mother's grace and force. So this is the difference. Divine is everywhere. And there are places which are special, no doubt about it. Uh, and the divine is here also. But when you begin to live in the ashram, you uh, begin to realize that there is a tremendous pressure from all sides. It is like um, she has created a formation within which the ashram exists and now given us the freedom. Now the moment you make choices which are contrary to your truth of evolution, you start feeling within and you start Having those, it's like an accelerated mode of evolution. What would happen through 10 lives begins to happen within a lifetime. It can be disorienting, but it is certainly at another level reorienting. Okay, so that's how ashram operates. Auroville also operates basically in a same way, similar way, except that the intense pressure of the mother's cover uh, is not here, uh, not there in Auroville. Auroville, it's like center, the Matri Mandir. From where there is a pressure which is going far and wide into this world. This is the difference. So Auroville is a very wide, wide. It's entering into wide infinity. Whereas Ashram is a special formation which is held within her lap. You will see that it is this different. So it is like she is carrying the whole thing. So the pressure is also very intense. The transformative pressure. You start deviating from the law of truth which people will do and they do. And you start getting... Um, all kinds of indications, signals very soon. And you need to correct yourself and reorient. It's a natural corrective going on. And you are even made conscious of, you know, where you are erring. Sincerity begins to grow. It all happens kind of almost automatically. But there is a process behind it. It's not automatic in the sense that it's just happening just like that. By the contact of the grace. So if you ask me, if I look at the world and I look at all these places and somebody says it's worrisome, as you said, Kalyo. So I have a very simple answer to it. If there is the divine in the world as uh, many forms of yoga, I said, not all forms of yoga, but at least the line of yoga that Shurabindra and the mother represent, then why worry? He knows his job. If there is no divine in the world, then why worry? It's an absurd, meaningless nightmare anyways. Okay, you may try to make it better, make it look neater, nicer, but there is no divine. So ultimately there is no basis for goodness. But if there is a divine presence, a divine wisdom, a divine power, then it knows its ways and everything that happens, including wars, will lead us closer. Look at the Mahabharata war, the Ramayana war, the second world war. Today people talk about the bringing the world together, UNO, UNESCO, they were all formed post-war because suddenly from deep inside there was an urge in mankind, oh my God, this is where we will go. Let us have a better future. Today because of, uh, you know, pollution everywhere, now people talk about, you know, plastic-free zones and all this because um, it's a collective learning. So what applies at a collective level applies at individual level. So it's because there is a wisdom operating. So we should have trust in that 
wisdom so in that in the ashram we live by faith in the grace and surrender to the grace we do our bit we know we are very imperfect human beings and um, there are limitations to our effort at self improvement and um, also given the freedom uh, but at the same time we know there is grace uh, so if there is a sincere aspiration to live the true life just the aspiration is sincere not the effort then the grace supports but if somebody is only to while away one's time there are possibilities they help others because they give the experience of worldly life and <laughs> and at some point they reach a point where they are compelled either to evolve because of the intense pressure or they leave the zone and uh, go away that's a constant change that goes on in ashram nobody is held like uh, you know it's not like a religious uh, place so one people want to go they also have the freedom to go away <laughs> yeah you were saying something yeah very beautiful i i look at it uh, i mean i have two levels of answer one is the eye of faith what the divine has initiated divine in my my view of course <laughs> cannot but have a beautiful future second i am seeing its journey how did oroville start i don't know if somebody is aware of the history well, little bloodshed almost <laughs> isn't it if you see the history of oroville it starts with groups and groups fighting with each other You see, that's how divine works. He starts from the opposite of what he must build. The beautiful rose. Where does it start its journey from? From the cave of darkness, isn't it? The beautiful lotus starts. Its seeds are lying in the mire. So, Aurobindo started with just the opposite of what it is intended to be. conflicts this is nothing what now also there are issues but nothing what started at the inception different you it said mother has used the word tower of babel in reverse must have heard about the story of tower of babel i don't need to say this um, so it's in reverse so people with different languages from different countries have come together instead of going away as is the story of tower of babel because god is the plan of bringing them together and build a tower to heaven he doesn't want this not to happen it's you see so when they come together and start building the first impulse was i come from this country you are from that there was superiority there was you are inferior the um, uh, different groups and foreigners what we would call as uh, ignorantly uh, indians uh, tamilians and this and that fighting with each other society and oroville ashram all this was going on and there was a purpose because these are the issues that need to be sorted out right then and there the geeta starts with a crisis in arjuna's life it's very dangerous if in the middle of the war he has a crisis so many of these dangerous things got sorted out at the beginning of oroville's inception the most dangerous things now there are conflicts nothing compared to what it was at the beginning matri mandir has already bloomed on the soil of oroville and people are at least become aware they are conscious now they want to you know uh, change things um, it's no more like you know in the beginning days even drug junkies came i want to you know experience alternate way uh, i am a lawn to myself because <laughs> mother has said you have to be free so they all misunderstood but today it's not like that people i mean 
I'm not saying it is perfect, very far from perfect. But then Auroville is meant to be an evolutionary experiment. It may take 100 years, 50 years. But it is moving in that direction. It will move because of the fact that it's a divine uh, conception. And one living example of this, uh, this going to be a success story is the Matri Mandir. With all the challenges it has come. Okay. People do live together. The neighboring villages, they have become integrated, harmonized with a lot of people around. There is a much greater compassion between people of different nationalities. Challenges come. There are conflicts. There are uh, you know, misunderstandings. Even uh, sometimes uh, gross issues come up. But much less. So we have to look at it on, on a scale of time. Okay? Yes, sir. Thank, Thank you. you so much. It's been Namaste. wonderful to meet all of you. Namaste. Namaste.